welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all your brothers and sisters in spirit. And if that be not so, due to those lower qualities of hate, anger, or resentment within the heart, mind, spirit, or feeling world of any one of us, then we must call forth the love and light, the power of our mighty I Am Presence to consume those lower qualities, and then make every effort on our part to replace those ashes of hate, anger, and resentment with those higher qualities of love, light, and forgiveness, which produces higher vibrations for all of us and a higher vibration for the collective. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. Atonement is defined as reconciliation, to make an expiation for sin or a sinner, and to be at one. The definition for sin is, to commit sin, transgress, neglect or disregard the divine law, to do wrong or offend. Literally speaking, sin means missing the mark or making a mistake. There is no sin but a mistake and no punishment but a consequence. To assume that man could sin against God would be to suppose that a divine law could be broken. To suppose that divine law could be broken would be to assume that man has the power to destroy divine harmony and wreck the universe with his actions. Man may have power to go contrary to law, but certainly he has no power to break it. Man cannot break a law, but the law can break him if he goes contrary to it. There is no doubt but that all of man's troubles come from his disregard of law through ignorance. There can be no doubt that much of his trouble will be over when he comes to understand the law and to consciously cooperate with it. We live in a universe of law and a universe of love. The law of God is perfect, and the love of God is also perfect. The law of God is the way in which the spirit works, the love of God is the self-givingness of the spirit to its creation. The unity of love and law produce a harmonious universe and a perfect creation. Man, because of his individuality and the use that he makes of it, may go contrary to both love and law, but so long as he does this he will suffer. This is the real meaning of sin and punishment. Man has gone contrary to the law of harmony and love, and no doubt this is the reason for all his troubles. He will be saved to the degree that he returns to a state of harmony and unity with God and with life. He can do this only as he first comes to realize that God is love and that he lives in a universe of law. The greater lesson that can be taught to the race is the lesson of love and of law. The lesson of love teaches us that life gives, and that God is good, while the lesson of law teaches that there is a way to freedom through real love. If love is the self-givingness of spirit, then that man who most completely loves, will most completely give of himself to life. The man who loves his work gives himself to it, the one who loves his art gives himself to it. We give ourselves to our friends and to our families and to the causes which we really love, 
Love is always the giving of the self to something, but the idea of self-givingness is not a morbid one it should never be thought of in this light. We have always thought of the atonement of Jesus as the act of his giving himself, through suffering on the cross, as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. But God surely does not need that any man shall suffer for him, nor sacrifice himself to please him. This would, indeed, be a limited idea of the divine being. God does not need an atonement, since he is already at one with himself and with all creation. It is man, not God, who needs an atonement. The act of atonement must be on the part of man and not of God. Man may need salvation, but God is already conscious of complete life and being. Man's whole trouble lies in the fact that he believes himself to be separated from the source of life. He believes in duality. The atonement is made to the degree that he realizes the unity of good. Man needs, and always has needed, to know the truth about himself and God, and anything that helps to fill this need would be an act of atonement. Now a man who had reached the understanding at which Jesus must have arrived would find the ordinary channels of expression inadequate to portray his concept of life. Jesus could have had no desire to become rich, neither did he wish to be made a king, nor to receive the plaudits of the world. He wished to show to the world what the love of God could really mean in the lives of men, he wished to show that the self-givingness of spirit is complete, to prove that life completely gives of itself to its creation. This he could do only to the degree that he let God become man through his own individuality. The whole thought and attention of Jesus was given to the accomplishment of one supreme purpose, to show that God is a living reality in the lives of all men. He must show the nature of the divine being, he must take the place of God and reveal the love and tender care of the Creator for its creation. No more complete plan was ever organized in the mentality of an individual than the plan of Jesus to prove the reality of spirit. His thought, being psychic, that is, being able to read mental causes, told him just what would happen if he did this. He knew that he would have to suffer physical agony, and for a time, at least, be misunderstood and abused. He also knew that the lesson would prove for all time that God is love. He knew that in the end the lesson which he was to teach would be accepted by all, and in this way he would become a living witness to the reality of divine love and goodness. Carefully he worked out his plan and patiently he waited for the right time to come to complete his life work, and when this time came, he unflinchingly gave of himself to the necessity of the case. Man must come to understand God if he is ever to realize his own nature, he must come to know spirit as a living reality and not as a myth. The vicarious atonement was the conscious giving of the self to the needs of the human race an example for all time that God is love. Jesus perfectly understood the law of life and consciously chose to make an example of himself that would cause all people to see what a real atonement could mean. In order to do this, he had to take on the sins of the world, that is, he had to enter into men's mistakes in order to rectify them, not because God demanded this, but because man needed the example. The suffering of Jesus, as he contacted the disorders of men's minds, was his vicarious atonement for the race. It was a wonderful example of what one man could do in proving the unity of good. Any person who contacts the race mind with a desire to lift it above its own level, will, thereby, go through a vicarious atonement. But the thought of morbidity that theology had given to the message of atonement is entirely erroneous. It is not a morbid thing but a glorious one. Atonement could not be morbid but must always produce a realization of unity and of good. The life of Jesus is not a sad story, but is the account of a man who so completely realized his own atonement that he had realization to spare and to give to all who believe in his teaching. His life was a triumphant march from the cradle into eternity, and not from the cradle to the grave. 
He swallowed the grave in victory, because of his atonement. Jesus left no grave and no dead man behind him. The atonement, then, is a glorious recognition of fulfillment and completion. The vicarious part is lost in the greater realization of unity and of good. Jesus is the most triumphant figure of all history and the only man, of whom we have record, who completely knew his own nature. All thought of sin, shame, iniquity, poverty, sickness, obscurity and death are swept away with the empty tomb. No wonder that this lesson still remains and his teachings still hold good, for reality never changes. The vicarious atonement is over, but the real atonement has only begun. We are just beginning to realize what love and life mean. Every time we give of ourselves to others, helping them to overcome their troubles, we are performing an atonement, we are proving the unity of good. The Science of Mind, by Ernest Shirtliff Holmes, 1926. Volume 2, Chapter 1 If we now stop to consider another of the fundamental dogmas of Christianity, the doctrine of atonement, we may trace it as easily back to heathendom. This cornerstone of a church which had believed herself built on a firm rock for long centuries, is now excavated by science and proved to come from the Gnostics. Professor Draper shows it as hardly known in the days of Tertullian, and as having originated among the Gnostic heretics. We will not permit ourselves to contradict such a learned authority, farther than to state that it originated among them no more than their anointed Christos and Sophia. The former they modeled on the original of the King Messiah, the male principle of wisdom, and the latter on the third Sephiroth, from the Chaldean Kabbalah, and even from the Hindu Brahma and Sarah Asvati, and the pagan Dionysus and Demeter. And here we are on the firm ground, if it were only because it is now proved that the New Testament never appeared in its complete form, such as we find it now, till 300 years after the period of Apostles, and the Sohar and other Kabbalistic books are found to belong to the first century before our era, if not to be far older still. The Gnostics entertained many of the Essenian ideas, and the Essenes had their greater and minor mysteries, at least two centuries before our era. They were the Asarum, or Initiates, the descendants of the Egyptian Hierophants, in whose country they had been settled for several centuries, before they were converted to Buddhistic monasticism by the missionaries of King Ahsoka, and amalgamated later with the earliest Christians, and they existed, probably, before the old Egyptian temples were desecrated and ruined in the incessant invasions of Persians, Greeks, and other conquering hordes. The Hierophants had their atonement enacted in the mystery of initiation ages before the Gnostics, or even the Essenes, had appeared. It was known among Hierophants as the baptism of blood, and was considered not as an atonement for the fall of man in Eden, but simply as an expiation for the past, present and future sins of ignorant but nevertheless polluted mankind. The Hierophant had the option of either offering his pure and sinless life as a sacrifice for his race to the gods whom he hoped to rejoin, or an animal victim. The former depended entirely on their own will. At the last moment of the solemn new birth, the initiator passed the word to the initiated, and immediately after that the latter had a weapon placed in his right hand, and was ordered to strike. This is the true origin of the Christian dogma of atonement. H.P. Blavatsky Verily the Christs of the pre-Christian ages were many. 
but they died unknown to the world, and disappeared as silently and as mysteriously from the sight of man as Moses from the top of Pisgah, the mountain of Nebo, oracular wisdom, after he had laid his hands upon Joshua, who thus became full of the spirit of wisdom, i.e., initiated. Nor does the mystery of the Eucharist pertain to Christians alone. Godfrey Higgins proves that it was instituted many hundreds of years before the Pascal Supper and says that, the sacrifice of bread and wine was common to many ancient nations. Cicero mentions it in his works and wonders at the strangeness of the rite. There had been an esoteric meaning attached to it from the first establishment of the mysteries, and the Eucharistia is one of the oldest rites of antiquity. With the Hierophants it had nearly the same significance as with the Christians. Ceres was bread and Bacchus was wine the former meaning regeneration of life from the seed, and the latter, the grape, the emblem of wisdom and knowledge, the accumulation of the spirit of things, and the fermentation and subsequent strength of that esoteric knowledge being justly symbolized, by wine. The mystery related to the drama of Eden, it is said to have been first taught by Janus, who was also the first to introduce in the temples the sacrifices of bread and wine in commemoration of the fall into generation as the symbol of the seed. I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman, says Jesus, alluding to the secret knowledge that could be imparted by him. I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new, in the kingdom of God. The festival of the Eleusinian Mysteries began in the month of Bodromion, which corresponds with the month of September, the time of grape gathering, and lasted from the 15th to the 22nd of the month, seven days. The Hebrew festival of the Feast of Tabernacles began on the 15th and ended on the 22nd of the month of Athenim, which Dunlap shows as derived from Adonim, Adonia, Atenim, Athenim, and this feast is named in Exodus, 23, 16, the Feast of Ingatherings. All the men of Israel assembled unto King Solomon at the feast in the month Athenim, which is the 7th. H. P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 15 If you care to, join us in this call to draw into physical conditions quickly, whatever sacred firepower of the all-purifying love of cosmic Christ control is necessary to strengthen the life streams of all who are constructive within this nation, and then throughout the world, so that wherever possible, the light in the life stream expands its assistance to the rest of life, and in that expansion begins its pathway of freedom to the ascension. I know of nothing that is more required in the world tonight than great oceans of the central sun's violet flames love, forgiveness, and mercy to life, to make every wave of love that you send forth the cosmic Christ's sacred fire love, forgiveness, and mercy, that compels individuals to turn away from destructive conditions. And this is part of your prevention flame. It is the love, forgiveness and mercy which every ascended master must pour forth to life, if anyone is to gain the ascension. So, I trust it will become for you such a power of accomplishment that your loved ones, who perhaps are not doing the right thing at this time, can be awakened, and taken out of the clutches of the hordes of evil that otherwise would try either to delay their ascension or destroy their opportunities in this embodiment. It is a tremendous service to give to life. I know of nothing more important to hold control of the feeling of the people of the nation than this great central sun's sacred firepower flame of love, forgiveness, and mercy, that strengthens every life stream with the light which compels it to turn Godward at this time, and receive the help that cuts away the destructive forces of the mass accumulation of mankind. 
So, if we may have your cooperation and your joining with us as part of the Legion of the Angels of Love and Mercy and Forgiveness, the Angels of the Sacred Fires healing purity to the earth, blessed ones, you could not remain in distress. This would mean the healing of your bodies, the healing of the minds of the people, the healing of your affairs, the healing of the hate of nations. It is very much needed at this time, and we do hope you will reach up and use this power which we are so glad to concentrate into your outer use, if you wish to render this service. Applause. Thank you so much precious ones. Won't you be seated, please and just remain so. Beloved Lady Master Nada. Everyone who has come to set mankind free has reached the momentum and the use of this power which has always been the unfolding sun presence that rendered that service of illumination to mankind, by the love, forgiveness, and mercy of the sacred fire. Now this does not mean that you let destructive forces destroy, and destroy, and destroy that which is constructive in your world, but through your call to your beloved I Am Presence, and the I Am Presence and higher mental body of the life streams whom you are trying to assist, you demand the great central sun's cosmic law of sacred fire love, forgiveness, and mercy, which seizes the attention of those who at the present time will not do right. Ask the sacred fire to seize the attention. Hold it upon the sacred fire until enough of the consuming takes place to make the individual awaken and release the feeling within the emotional body to try to hold to the constructive way of life. Otherwise, my dear ones, there's no self-effort of the individual to overcome the evil that has entrapped the outer self and holds it enslaved to destruction. Unless some part of life will pour this great central sun's power flame of the sacred fire's love, forgiveness, and mercy to life, which the violet consuming flame is, unless that is concentrated somewhere in and around individuals who are caught in the clutches of destructive forces, unless that comes forth, the individual cannot free himself or herself by just unascended demand. The sacred fire must come and consume the connection between the outer self and the mass accumulation of discord. Therefore, it is the redeeming power of life. It is the all-purifying sacred fire. It is the all-wise, balancing, forgiving force that is the wisdom of life to use the great powers of the sacred fire to cut life free everywhere from human creation, that has been generated through the centuries. So, this is the way you cut yourselves free from all connection with the mass accumulation, of the ages. Beloved Lady Master Nada. <laughs>